John chapter 20. I uh, met Brother Jim, Pastor Jim, and I, we were trying to figure it out. I believe it was in 2008, and it was on uh, the one of the first Baptist history tours that I was able able to be on. I was friends with, I, I know that you know Pastor Dalton Robertson, and so he and I were very close, and so he kept telling me, I need to meet his best buddy, Jim. And so I just couldn't wait to meet him, excited about it. And he said, he'll be here on this tour. And so we heard that he was in the lobby. And so we went downstairs to meet him for the first time. And I wasn't with him more than five minutes uh, when he said something about Brother Dalton's mom in a condescending way. And I thought, this is the kind of guy that I need to be friends with right here. And so this is my kind of guy. And we have just hit it off ever since. And he's just one of my, we're like family. And uh, what a blessing it is. And I just love him. And I'm thankful for what God is doing here at Grace. In honor of the reading of the Word of God, would you stand with me? We're going to read a few verses. And then we're going to be kind of all, all over the book of John today. And um, we start here in chapter 20 in a familiar portion of Scripture. In verse number 24, John chapter 20 and verse number 24. But Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, except I see in his hands, the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. In verse 28, And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Do you notice he didn't have to do any of those things? Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet believed. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But I love verse 31. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through His name. Heavenly Father, I thank You for allowing me to be here at Grace Baptist. I pray, Lord, that You would help us to see what it will take in our life if we are to always abound in the work of the Lord today. We thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You may have heard the story of the man that entered into the restaurant and sat on one of the stools at the, at the, at the counter, and the waiter bought a glass of water. To the man. The customer then immediately took that water and threw it into the waiter's face. Well, he grabbed a napkin and, and, and the, the customer helped the waiter dry his face and he apologized with great remorse after throwing the, the water into his face. He said, I'm so sorry. He said, I have this compulsion to do this. I fight it, but I don't know what to do about it. Well, the waiter said, you better do something about it. You can be sure I'll remember you and I'll never serve you any drink until you get help. Well, the man came into the restaurant a few months later. And when he was asked for a glass of water, the waiter said, uh-uh, I'm not giving you any water. Well, then the man explained that he had been seeing a psychiatrist and that his problem was solved. Well, convinced now it was okay, the waiter poured him a drink. Well, the man took the glass, looked at it, and splashed the water into the waiter's astonished face. He said, I thought you were cured, he screamed. 
Well, the man said, I am. I still do it, but now I just don't feel guilty about it. Amen. <laughs> We've had so many years at youth camp and Several years ago, one of the themes that we had was taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58. Very familiar portion of scripture if you've been in church at any period of time. Where it says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For ye know, for as much as ye know, that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And I'm seeing a camp theme for about every phrase of that verse at one time or another. Steadfast, unmovable was a camp. Always abounding, that was ours. The work of the Lord. Your labor is not in vain. All these things, this verse is taken. It's an amazing thing to me, sometimes we miss this truth... That that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And we know that 1 Corinthians 15 is the foundational chapter of the doctrine of the resurrection. And so people miss that. We talk about always abounding in the work of the Lord. Who is that written to? Well, anyone that expects to partake of the resurrection. That's for everybody. Every child of God. So what does it mean to abound in the work of the Lord? Well, the Bible defines the word abound for us. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 12, if you'd like to turn there. And it says this. Let me give you a second to turn there when I ask you to turn there. Philippians 4.12 says this. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Okay, so we have two opposites here. Abased and abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. So abased, hungry, full, abound. Both to abound and to suffer need. And so we know that abound is the opposite of suffering need, which would be more than we need, right? And so the word abound, when we're talking about always abounding in the work of the Lord, we know in the context there, Christians have more than they need to be motivated to serve God. He's given us plenty to be motivated about. And so God should have more than he needs out of us to accomplish his purpose. Now, if there was one man that we find here in the text that lived this out, that suffered need who allowed his service for the Lord to suffer need. It was Thomas here in the Gospel of John. Now, when I say Thomas among the disciples, most will be reminded of his nickname, which would be what? Doubting Thomas. Isn't that amazing? That's what he's known for. We hear about Thomas, we think, doubting Thomas. And he's best remembered for the statement that we read there in John chapter 20. Right? Except I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And from that statement, we get doubting Thomas. He says, I will not believe Jesus had risen from the dead until I see him face to face. And so Jesus shows himself face to face and then he says he believes. But what's astounding to me is that is not the only place that we find Thomas in the Word of God. As a matter of fact, it's not only not the only place we find him, but it's not the only place that he speaks in the Scripture. He's he's named 12 times in the Bible. Eight of those are right here in John. 
And he speaks all three times in the book of John. Now we know what he says here in John chapter 20, and we know him for his doubt. We know him of his suffering need. But does anybody remember the very first thing that he's recorded as saying? It's found over in John chapter 11. Hold your place there. Let's go to John chapter 11. Now in John chapter 11, remember Jesus was determined to go to Bethany to raise Lazarus from the dead. But the Bible says the only problem is that they'll have to go through Judea to get there. And in Judea, they already wanted to kill him. Notice in verse number 7 of John 11. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. His disciples said to him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again. The first time that Thomas is ever recorded as speaking in the scripture is in the context of, we might have to give our life for Jesus right here if we pass through Judea. And the very first thing that Thomas ever says is found in verse number 16. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, Let us go also, that we may die with him. That was striking to me. The very first time Thomas speaks, he says, I'm ready to give my life for Jesus Christ. He was ready to abound. He was ready to give the Lord more than what the Lord required here. In John chapter 14, the second time that Thomas ever speaks, notice the change that has already taken place in three chapters. John chapter 14. Jesus was preparing his disciples for his coming death on the cross and he began to tell them where he was going. You remember chapter 14, verse number 1? And we're setting this stuff up. Some of y'all are worried because this is just the intro. It's going to be a long day, amen? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. He's leaving. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. And whither I go ye know, and the way you know. The second time that Thomas ever speaks in the Scripture, remember the first time he says, let's go and give our lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. Here by verse 5, notice. Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? What has changed in Thomas's life to where in chapter 11, he's ready to, to give the Lord more than what is required. And by the time we get three chapters later into the ministry of the disciples, in the work of the Lord with the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, I don't know what's going on. And that's something. I'm ready to give my life. Where, where are you going? Isn't that something? But doesn't that happen to believers today as they're working for the Lord? Oh, boy, they start off excited. They start off willing to give God everything. And then when, when life happens, they don't know what they're doing. And they don't know why they're doing it. How does that happen? Well, we're going to look at that today. The same things that happened to Thomas between chapter 11 and chapter 14 or what happened to us. We have no idea what we're doing, why we're coming to church, why we're serving the Lord when life happens. 
So I'm going to look at Thomas's example. What comes in between us being willing to give the Lord everything, to abound in the work of the Lord, to, you know what, I don't even know why I'm trying. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what's going on. Well, we're going to find that today. Perhaps you've, you've experienced these things in your life because the Bible says that if you're a part of the resurrection, if you trusted Christ as your Savior, you know he's coming again. You know our lives are going to be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, right, at the last trump. So we know that, that all of us are commanded to always abound in the work of the Lord. But just like Thomas, there are things that get in the way of that. So why do we quit abounding in the work of the Lord? Why do we quit abounding in the work of the Lord? Number one, because it requires separation. I know this may shock you, but when we want to work for the Lord and be holy vessels, to put a difference between clean and unclean, that requires a different way of living than what we once did. It requires different priorities. It requires different expectations. It requires different results and resolutions. So I want you to notice here in the scripture, what came, the first thing that came between Thomas saying, I want to give my life for God to, I don't know what in the world's going on, is found right here in the scripture in John chapter 11. Let's go back over there. Remember, he says here, let's give our lives in verse 16. So let's look on over to verse 47. And find out where the disciples were. Look at verse number 47. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them, named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. And this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. And not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Then from that day forth, they took counsel together for to put him to death. Jesus therefore walked no more openly among the Jews. So now there's a, there's a different way of life the disciples are going to have to do for the rest of the ministry. But went thence into a country near to the wilderness, into a city called Ephraim, and there continued with his disciples. So Thomas is there. And then they sought they for Jesus and spake among themselves as they stood in the temple, What think ye? That he would not come to the feast. Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a commandment that if any man knew where he were, he should show it that they might take him. So what happens in the earlier part of, we already mentioned it, in chapter 11? That's the great miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. Do you remember there the disciples were and saw the Lord Jesus Christ give a presentation of the authority that the Son of God had over death. And four days later, remember that old song, when he's four days late, he's right on time, amen. And remember, he comes up out of the grave, they roll the stone away. What a magnificent miracle to display on hand for the world to see the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, it's easy to serve God when you're on that side. It's real easy to serve God when you're a part of that great miracle that the, that the whole uh, uh, town is in awe of. But then notice, now it requires some change. Now they're seeking their life. Now it's not popular anymore. Lazarus, they, they, a little bit later, try, they, they try to kill Lazarus. 
Things began to change. It required now a different way of life. It was real fun. Everything was all fun and games when people were being raised from the dead. But now they're conspiring to kill the Lord Jesus Christ. The, and the disciples are right there with them. And so the Bible says that they can't go in the places that they normally go. They can't walk out in the open. Now it requires them to go back a little bit. Now their lives are going to be in jeopardy. And so it's real easy for Thomas to say when this great event with Lazarus is, is going on, hey, let's give our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ because then we know it's popular and there's a good chance he won't have to. But then when we get here and there's something of your life that's at stake from abounding in the work of the Lord, then all of a sudden, whoa, wait a second. You mean it requires me to change some things? Well, that's what the Christian life is like. There's a lot of believers today that quit abounding in the work of the Lord because it's not fun anymore. Because things begin to happen. It requires people. There, there may be some people in your life when you take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ that begin to despise you and hate you and threaten you. And it may require change in your job. It may require change in your home. It may require change in your church. You may have to separate from friends who don't understand your new walk in, in the Lord and they don't want any part of it. They, you may have to remove yourself from bad habits or from or, or bad situations and change the way that you talk or change the way that you act in order to have a good testimony for the Lord. See, it's really easy to say, I want to give my life for God when God doesn't require you to give your life. But over here, when he requires some change in your life, that's the time where you say, I don't know what's going on. Isn't that amazing? At first it was fun. Boy, you're on your way to heaven. Amen. We were laughing today about how some of those old songs back then, on that bright and cloudless morning when the dead in Christ shall rise. But he comes in the clouds. It can be cloudless. I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> but it's real fun to think about heaven and think about and when it's pipe when all the the other people in church are loving on you and about oh man i'm so glad you got saved you think i got all these new friends that life is good but then life begins to go on and not everybody's going to be as excited about that decision that you made and it's going to require you to have to do some things and change some things and reset your priorities that's when people get discouraged because it requires some separation from some things. Think about that. We have three kids. I've already told you that. And we had all three children uh, that had fevers and they had sickness. And I, I think I told this story earlier this weekend. But when my kids were going through their sickness, they all began to hallucinate. They had fevers that began to spike and dip. In the middle of the night, they began to see things that I hope weren't there. And so uh, Caroline was, you know, in her own room, but Maddie and, and Abe, they share a room. Uh, Abe will be four and uh, Maddie's eight. And Maddie gets really mad when she's not sleeping good. I, I get that, you know. She just gets ticked, you know. And so she, she start, we start hearing her and she's coming down the stairs and she's kind of in a fog. You know, she's awake, but she's not. And so she comes downstairs to, to me and her mom, and she's like, I, I can't keep the voices from talking to me. We're like, what voices? You know, are they telling you to hurt me right now? And, and, she, and we're like, what are you talking about? She said, like, I keep hearing these voices. They're getting louder and louder. They're telling me to put my arms down. 
Alrighty, well, let's just go on to bed and I'm just going to lock this door from the outside. And so we're creeping out. So we, we want to make sure we got, got her back to bed. Well, so we lay down about four in the morning. You know, I hear my door open. Here comes Abe. And you can only see the top of his head, you know, at the bottom of the bed. You see the head going like, oh, no. And I love how he'll go around the bed to get to his mom instead of me. Fantastic. So he goes over. I don't have any problem with that whatsoever. He goes over to his mom and he says, mom, there's a man in my room. So by this time, I'm, you know, wide awake. And Katie's like, there's a man in your room. And we have some, you know, we have some, we live out in the woods. And so a lot of times animals will get, you know, up on the porch and, you know, and fighting and stuff. And so uh, Katie said, well, you're probably hearing the cat, you know, fighting off a possum or something. And he says, no, no, not cats, man in my room. So I said, Katie, go check it out and I'll be back here praying for you. Well, I mean, somebody had to pray. It wasn't going to be her, you know. So, so she went in there to see. She turned on the light. And I'm in the back bedroom. Lord, please don't let her see him, man. Please, I don't want to shoot anybody tonight. Please don't let it. And uh, so, everything okay in there? You know, everything was okay. But I wanted to separate from my kids that night. Hallucinations. You know, the Bible says that all the problems of your life are worth it. If you're suffering for well-doing. The Bible says over there in Romans chapter 8, verse number 18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. Any decisions you have to make where you're having to feel like you're suffering, it's going to be well worth it. But people quit abounding, giving God more than what he needs because it requires some change. It requires some separation in your life. Don't allow those changes in your life to affect your service. But we see Thomas was affected by that. Not only do we quit abounding in the work of the Lord because it requires separation, I want you to see secondly is because it gets expensive. Uh Uh-oh. Let's talk about expenses. Let's go to chapter 12. Look at verse number 1. The next time we find the disciples, they're witnessing the anointing of the body of Jesus for his coming burial. Verse number one, then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus uh, was, uh, was which he had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then said one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, well, we would think that it would come from somebody like him. Right? We should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone against the day of my burying. Has she kept this for the poor always ye have not with you, but me ye have not always. Now you think, well, Judas said that. Well, you have to understand the disciples were there. Thomas is witnessing this. When we allow uh, the word of God to tell us what's going on here, when we read over there in the book of Matthew chapter 26 of the same account, we find in verse number eight that Judas may have said that. But all the disciples were thinking it. In chapter 26 and verse number 8, the Bible says this. 
But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation. They were angry and said, to what purpose is this waste? Mary didn't care about what it cost her. But boy, the disciples sure did. The love of money, the love of materialism. The Bible says in our dispensation today over there in the book of Colossians, that covetousness is as idolatry. That's what we deal with today, materialism. That's the idol that you and I bow down to every day, materialism. It's money that keeps us from serving God like we should. It's trying to work those extra hours. It's trying to get more toys that keeps us from coming to Sunday school. That keeps us from coming to Wednesday night. It keeps us uh, uh, from wanting to be here when we've got uh, a week-long revival meetings and, and you'd rather go take a vacation somewhere. It keeps us from being able to give more so there won't be any sort of stress on the local church. It it keeps us from enjoying giving to God. It, It makes us think that all the church wants is Money, 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 money. That's all that you feel like the church talks about. And it's even a constant source of stress and discouragement even for people who are in the ministry. It's like that time Maddie, my, my middle, came to my, my dad and gave him a birthday card. He, she had made this really sweet birthday card for him and, and, and had written all these things in it and just how wonderful he is. And she put a dollar of her own hard-earned money in the envelope. And gave it to my dad and said, happy birthday, dad. This was in August. And he opened up the card. He looked at us. Oh, Maddie, this is so sweet. And he picked up that dollar and said, but Maddie, you don't have to give me your money. She says, okay. It puts it back in her pocket. <laughs> well, golly, act like at least you're upset about that. <laughs> you know, the Bible says, unlike modern versions, the, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is the root of all evil. Not all kinds of evil, all evil. That's what it boils down to, materialism, which some have coveted after, after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The Bible says, feed the flock of God, 1 Peter 5, 2, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. A lot of people fail to serve God, fail to give God more than he needs because it gets expensive. It actually requires you to give of your substance, your time, your talent, and your treasure. People aren't willing to do that. What a blessing it was to see so many people using their talents today. What a blessing that is to hear people getting here early just to be in choir. But a lot of people won't do that because it gets expensive. It requires, you know, that extra hour of sleep. That's still not good enough. You want some more. My mom asked me yesterday, she says, do you guys have to turn your, your clocks back? So where do you think I am, Uganda? It's Ohio. <laughs> we're, we're in the same time zone, mom. All right. Why, <laughs> why, do we can, why do people quit abounding in the work of the Lord? Because it requires separation. It gets expensive. I want you to see thirdly today. Holy moly. Thirdly, it accompanies study. It accompanies study. The next time we find the disciples there in chapter 12, look at verse number 12. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna! 
Blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, thy king cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood not his disciples at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, see, after the fact, then remembered they that these things were written of him and that they had done these things unto him. So the next time we find the disciples, we find Thomas. Remember, I'll give my life. By chapter 14, uh, I don't know what's going on. By chapter 20, uh, I'm doubting. Notice, Jesus is now presenting himself as the king to Israel. And how does he do that? He's riding on an ass's colt, and the entire event is spelled out for us in the Old Testament. That was what was supposed to happen. And notice in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse number 1, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak comfortably uh, to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished and that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Writing in, and then notice in Zechariah 9, 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon the colt, the foal of an ass. It's very clear what Jesus was doing here. But the disciples, including Thomas, didn't understand what was going on and would not understand until after Jesus was glorified. Why were they fearful in the garden? Why did they all run for their lives? Because they didn't know what the Bible said. Go over to to Luke chapter 18. You'll see what I'm saying. Luke chapter 18, verse number 31. I've, I've got to hurry. I've only got one more point. Luke chapter 18 and verse number 31. Then he took... Unto him, the twelve, and said to them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. He said, It's written in the Old Testament. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully entreated, and spitted on, and they shall scourge him, and put him to death, and the third day he should rise again. All that written down. Notice what the Bible says. And they understood none of these things. Doubt creeps in when you just don't know the Bible, you just don't know what the Word of God says. It's real easy to stop serving God when you do not accompany your service for God with a love for the Scriptures. You'll get easily discouraged when trouble comes into your life unless you know what the Bible says, how God can use those troubles. You'll get angry at church standards until you learn what the Bible actually has to say about standards. You'll get fearful when you see the world's wickedness and you feel like everything's getting worse and worse and all the president of the United States is tweeting out all this stuff and he's going to be impeached. and Oh no, Congress is going crazy and nobody's serving the Lord and oh man, we just need to be a nation that gets back to God and if my people which shall call by my name. We just throw all this stuff. We just get fearful about politics unless we understand what the Bible has to say about the end times. Right? The only way that you'll always abound in the work of the Lord is knowing what the Bible says. I like what what we just read there in chapter 20, verse 31. But these are written that you may know. I like over there in 1 John chapter 5, it says, (laughs) let's look at it. 1 John chapter 5, look at verse number 13. I want to say it right. 
I love being in a church that uses their Bible. He said, well, obviously, yeah, you'd be surprised. First John chapter five and verse number 13. But these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the son of God that she may what? Know that she have eternal life. It's okay to have confidence in the fact that you're saved. How do you get that confidence? From the scriptures. Had Thomas simply known what the Bible said, when he would have seen Jesus coming down to Jerusalem, he's presenting himself as Israel's king and see that fulfilled prophecy before his very eyes, he may have not gotten to the point in chapter 14, was like, I don't know what's going on. He, He would have known the Bible. I love what Psalm 119, 165 says. This is a great verse. Great peace have they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. When you know what the Bible says. Second Timothy 2, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman. Remember, always abounding in the work of the Lord. A workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. One of the reasons why people stop abounding in the work of the Lord is because they don't know the Bible. Abounding in the work of the Lord accompanies study. Know the book. And then finally today. What keeps us from always abounding the work of the Lord is when it exposes counterfeits. The last time we find Thomas before that statement there in John chapter 14 is there in chapter 13. Look at verse number 21. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say to you that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. I love that. Matthew tells us that they not only were doubting of who he was talking about, they didn't even know whether he was talking about them betraying him. That's how confident they were in their faith. And in Matthew's God, Lord, is it me? Who? Who is it? They didn't even know that it wasn't them. Isn't that something? And so here in the text, the Bible says they doubted. Now there was leaning, verse 23, on Jesus' bosom, one one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Verse 24, Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask of who it should be of whom he spake. He then lying on Jesus' breast saying to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, he it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now remember we said earlier that it was Judas Iscariot that said, why are you allowing all this waste? And then the Bible says over there in the book of Matthew that all the disciples thought that even though Judas said it. So Thomas now is seeing Judas be exposed as a counterfeit among the ranks. And Judas, there was a time, was thinking the very same thing that Thomas was. It's getting Thomas discouraged. Not only that, let's continue. Look at verse number 36. Simon Peter, oh, the fearless leader, right? Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. And listen to what Peter now says. Does it sound familiar? Have you heard this before? Peter said to him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Isn't that what Thomas said a couple of chapters ago? So Thomas is thinking the same thing that Judas Iscariot is saying. Now, Peter, who's supposed to be the head of everybody, which, you know, he's not. But he's supposed to be one of the inner circle, at least. 
is saying the very same thing that Thomas said a couple of chapters ago. Then look at how Jesus responds to Peter. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. One of the inner circle saying the same thing that Thomas said. One of the other disciples is thinking the same thing that Thomas said. So you understand that by the time we come to chapter 14 and he sees two out of the 12 that are failing the Lord and they've been exposed to their hypocrisy. Then Thomas says, by the time we get to chapter 14, I, I don't even know what's real anymore. It's disheartening when you see people that are supposed to be serving God. Stop serving God. Counterfeit believers, compromising believers, hypocritical believers are all tools that the devil will use to compel Christians to stop serving the Lord. One of the biggest things I hear back home, man, I used to go to church. You know, that church has too many hypocrites. You know what I always say to that? Hey, what's one more? <laughs> it's like the other day I was taking my kids. We love going to Five Guys Burgers and Fries. Hallelujah. Five guys, burgers and fries. Five guys. All right. So my kids were going the other day. I, when, when Maddie was a little girl, we, we said, uh, Maddie, we're going to go to five guys. She goes, no guys. I said, no guys. Abraham, when he's her age, we told him, he said, hey, I said, Abraham, we're going to go to five guys. She, he says, no, no five guys, two girls. <laughs> well, Abe, now we're getting somewhere. Amen. All right crazy i don't know what that had to do with anything i was i was going somewhere that and i lost it let's get back down think about how discouraging it is boy i've been in the ministry now for over 20 years and i've seen kids come and go from youth camps i've seen kids come down into the altar and boy i've seen them surrender to preach and give their life and now they're not even serving god it's discouraging it's discouraging in church when people that you looked up to are no longer serving. Your friends leave the church. Nobody is serving the Lord but you. You're trying to get people involved. And you're, you're the only one that is willing to do all the grunt work. Everybody, it looks like, is compromising somehow in their life of sin. Christians fail you over and over. I thought that person was supposed to be saved. you got to deal with gossip and backbiting and fighting and disputing and false doctrine. I mean, so you get to the point that Thomas did in chapter 14. He's like, I give up. What's the point? So by the time we get here in chapter 14, that's what Thomas has been exposed to. And that's what gets you from saying, Lord, I'm willing to give my life to, I don't even know where you're going. How in the world can we even know the way? And then by the time we get to chapter 20, we, we know him as doubting Thomas. We cannot allow what anybody else is doing to defeat us and discourage us from always abounding in the work of the Lord. But haven't we all been there? It's sad, but so many Christians do like Thomas does. And I'll finish with this. Thomas didn't get things straight until after he had seen the resurrected Savior. There's a lot of believers today that won't get right until they finally see the Lord face to face. Isn't that something? They'll spend their entire life on earth in doubt and fear and compromise just like Thomas did. They'll use all the excuses the world has to offer as a means to prevent them from always abounding in the work of the Lord. Isn't it amazing that Thomas is not known as the first disciple that says, I'm willing to give my life? Why don't we know him for that? 
Just like today in our culture, Christians are not known for their dedicated service. But boy, they're the first ones that get called out when they fail. Thomas is not known as giving my life. He's the disciple that said, I'll be willing to give my life. He's known for his doubt. We do much more damage where we're not always abounding in the work of the Lord than we ever could do while serving him. So what about you today? Would you say that your service for God abounds or does it suffer need? Have you allowed the fact that it may require some separation to keep you from making that commitment? The fact that it could get expensive sometimes? Have you thought about that? What keeps you from abounding? When other Christians fail, do you use that as an excuse? Think about your life today. Does your service for God abound or does it suffer need? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this biographical sketch in the life of Thomas. Thank you for recording this for us that we might see where we might suffer need today.